This is a reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 26. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? The word of God. All right, you guys have a seat. Thank you, Paige. Matthew 16, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. We're going to dive right in here in just a second. So last week, as we um, kind of come back to this series, questions Jesus asked, like I said, we started that last fall, but um, really because there's so many poignant and pointed uh, deep questions that Jesus asks throughout his ministry, we just thought it would be great to continue to walk through some of these because it gives us an opportunity to look at him, look at his stories, look at the things that he taught and the things that he did, um, just spend some time in the Gospels for a few weeks. And so last week, we were in this same chapter, Matthew 16. And the story right before this story, the question right before this question was, who do you say that I am? It's Jesus with his disciples and takes them to Caesarea Philippi. And I showed you all the pictures last week. They're on that cliff face and looking at the gates of Hades that they called there. And who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right. And you're Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Sort of this awesome moment, right? For the apostle Peter. And he has this moment of clarity and the moment of faith and a witness to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I don't know about you, but um, you ever put your foot in your mouth after you say something great, then you say something stupid. You ever like have a moment in life where you just feel like you, you've said the right answers and you kind of got some momentum going in things and then you just keep talking too much. Anybody do this but me? I don't know if y'all do this. Peter does this. Right? Sometimes we, we say too much because we should have stopped talking at, at some point. And uh, so we get into this story and um, he's just confessed, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus begins to tell his disciples, well, here's what I'm going to do. As the Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And yeah, I'll be raised again on the third day. He tells them that part too. Praise God. But Peter kind of latches onto that suffer and die part. But you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, the one who I'm, I'm assuming he would imagine would be, as the Old Testament scriptures kind of alluded to, the one who as Messiah would set up his kingdom, would push out the Romans and establish Israel back into the greatest kingdom that the earth has ever seen. That's the Christ. That's the Messiah, Jesus. That's who I said that you are. So that's what you're going to do. But now Jesus says, well, I, I need to let you know that this is what this means for me. That I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. So Peter rebukes Jesus, right? And we'll, we'll read that here in just a second. There's, there's a guy back in uh, the 50s and 60s. I don't know if any of you remember Albert King. 
Anybody know that name, Albert King? Uh, he wrote a song called, and it was quoted in more recent days by the great poet David Crowder. Um, he wrote a song called, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. I think that's kind of Peter's attitude here, right? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Go on to heaven and be with you forever. Be in your kingdom forever. And then Jesus goes, well, I'm going to die. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to die. So Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. At the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Yes, you heard it right. Rebuke Jesus. He begins to rebuke the same guy, the same Peter. And this is, by the way, this is why I love Peter, because I am Peter. You know what I'm saying? Like some people in the Bible are sort of hard to relate to because they're so perfect all the time. And they don't ever really seem like when we were reading Daniel, Daniel's a guy that he doesn't, we don't really see his flaws. You know what I mean? But Peter, I believe, is in the scriptures by the grace of God. Because it allows me and people like me, maybe you, to read the Bible and go, I would have done that. That would have been me. I would have said the dumb thing right in this moment. And he takes Jesus aside. Bless you, Peter. And he rebukes him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus says this. He turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. He just called him Peter, you're the rock, right? And, and then I'm going to build my church on this rock. I kind of gave him that name, and now he's calling him a different name. Get behind me, Satan. And, you know, I'm really not saying, Peter, you are Satan, but you're being influenced right now by someone other than God, my father, to say what you just said, that I'm not going to go die. Like, Peter has no idea. And again, like, we can have compassion on Peter. He just didn't see the whole picture, right? He didn't understand, like I would have done, probably. Get behind me, Satan. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind. Here's, here's the key to what Peter's doing here. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This is the key issue. It's the mindset, right? It's the mindset of Peter. And Jesus tells him, you're not thinking on things of heaven. You're not thinking on the things of God. You're just thinking on the things of men. This is probably what all the disciples were thinking when Jesus said that. Peter, just often being the spokesman of the disciples, right? Being the guy who's going to speak up and put his foot in his mouth and kind of not be afraid to do that, says what he says. And Jesus says, look, Peter, you guys, listen, you're, you're, you're thinking on the things of men right now, the earthly things, not the things of God. Don't we do this? Right? Don't we set our minds so often on the things of this earth, on the things of right here and right now, the things that we can touch and see, right? The things that we can feel, right? That the physical around us and all that just grabs our attention. It's all we can think about and all we can focus on at times. And we forget what Colossians 3, 2 says, to set your minds on things of heaven, right? Not on earthly things. This is what Paul encourages the Christians to do, that we, we are supposed to live our lives with our minds there, thinking about Jesus and his kingdom and the call that he's given us in our lives. And yet so often we just get so caught up. We get caught up in this right here, the here and the now. And we forget that God sees the there and the then and the everywhere and the always. That's what God sees. And we just see the here and the now and we get that tunnel vision, right? We get the tunnel vision about life. What are the things right now that your mind is set on? What are the things that kind of consume your thought life 
in your affections right now, in your heart? What are those things in this world, in this physical life that are bothering you, that are weighing you down, that are stressing you out, or that are bringing you great hope and great pleasure, but they're just the temporary things, the things of the world, great comfort, great entertainment. Man, Satan loves entertainment. Satan loves your comfort. You know this? You know who will coddle you more than anybody else? Satan. Because it makes you believe, it makes you feel like this world is your home. This world's comfortable, this world's safe, this world's warm and cozy and fuzzy. And Jesus is like, Peter, man, you gotta stop thinking like that. You're thinking on that stuff and I'm telling you, you need to think on the things of God. And so 24 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, here, here it is. You wanna be a disciple of Jesus? Listen up, here it comes. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good, here's our question of the day. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The version uh, that Pedro had said, life. And I like that because really that, that soul, that word, that the, the, the soul word, it really is the inner life. It's the spiritual life. It's the, the seat. When, the, when we talk about soul in scripture, talking about the, kind of the seat of our life, our real deep, true life that is within us. What good is it, Jesus says, if you gain everything in this world and yet you forfeit your soul, you lose your soul. He says, if anybody wants to come after me, here's what he says, you must deny yourself. So thinking about what he just told Peter, right? Peter had the mindset set on things of this earth and not on the things of God. And now he's saying, I need you to deny yourself. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? You deny that. You deny self. So I really believe thinking about what Jesus said to Peter and then what he says here, he's talking about denying that mindset. He's talking about denying everything inside of us, every instinct that we have to just set our minds only on the things of this earth, only on the things of this life, the things that make me happy the things that make me comfortable, the things that please me and give to me everything that my human nature craves and desires in this world, all of those things that I would be so inclined in my sinful nature to run after, to strive for, to live for, to love in the deepest parts of my soul, those things must be by me denied if I am to follow Jesus in the way that he's calling me to follow him. Peter, Peter was set there. He was, he was stuck there thinking about the things. I mean, yeah, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now let's go take over Rome and set up an earthly kingdom and have all the power and have all the riches. And Jesus said so that, that, I need you to deny that impulse, Peter, that instinct inside of yourself to go after the things of this world. And Mark, the, the gospel of Mark actually adds a little bit here. Same story in the Gospel of Mark. If you want to flip over, you can. Mark chapter 8. Mark and Luke both add this little part in when they tell the same story. Here, here's what Jesus says right after that in verse 38. He says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I mean, you want to talk about a, a sobering thing for Jesus to say to us. You're ashamed of me in this life. 
I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come and return with the angels in glory. We, we, we confessed this a minute ago. Christ will come again. And when he does, he will know everyone who has denied themselves and followed after him and everyone who has not and yet was ashamed of him in this world. And I, I think we can kind of see those two things as exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says to deny yourself. It is to deny the shame of Jesus. What, what got Peter worked up? What made Peter so mad in this moment? It was Jesus saying, my way as Christ, as the Messiah, as the son of the living God, my way is to go to the cross and suffer and die. That's the way of me. That's the way of Christianity. That's the way of Jesus. It's the way of the cross. And that got Peter worked up. And so Jesus says, you got to deny that, Peter. You got to deny that instinct to get worked up about the cross and be ashamed of the things of the cross. So denial of self, Christians, denial of self is to deny being ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ. Denial of self is to deny being ashamed to obey Jesus Christ. Denial of self is to deny being ashamed of his kingdom and the way that he has called us to live, the mindset that he has given us. The whole world says this is foolishness. This is weakness. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The world calls the cross weakness. The world calls the cross foolishness, but we boast in it. That's what it means to deny self. They say, no self, I will not be ashamed of Jesus and his cross. I will boast, I will glory in his sufferings, even in the death that he died and that he caused me to die in this world to self and to live for his glory. Paul, Paul says exactly this, Philippians chapter three. Listen, listen, listen to Paul's words. He says, but whatever was to my profit, this is denial of self. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Listen, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. You guys want to know Jesus? You want to know the power of his resurrection? Yes or no? Do you? All right, so listen. Here's, here's how that happens. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Listen, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. And Jesus is just saying, the way of me, the way of Christ, the way of the Messiah, the son of the living God is death. You want to follow after me? You deny yourself. You take up your cross. So why does he say the cross part, right? Like, what is that about? Why does he say take up your cross and follow me? The cross is an instrument of unimaginable torture and suffering and death in the first century. They hear cross, like we hear cross and we kind of think about the antiquities and the things about all that, but that was real life for them. They knew it. They had probably seen it, been witness to the cross. They knew what it meant for a criminal to die on a cross. It was ugly. It was shameful. Again, being ashamed. And Jesus is saying, this is where I'm going. And I'm calling you to this, 
to this kind of mindset and this kind of life where you would gladly and willingly share in my sufferings. That's what Paul said. I want to share. In, I want to know your resurrection. I'm going to share in your sufferings. Becoming like you in death, Jesus. That's what it is to deny self. To deny every impulse to protect yourself. To be self-sustaining to be self-protecting and just to go, you know what, God, whatever you want, wherever you lead, wherever I can go to serve and glorify you, I will go even unto death. That's the cross. That's the way of the cross. And Jesus says, you, you deny yourself, you take up your cross and you follow me. See, some people think and teach that the way in which we glorify Jesus in this life is measured by our success and our victories and our status and our wealth. If we have more, then God will be more glorified in us because people will see that we have so much and we follow Jesus. And so if I have a lot and I'm following Jesus, that must mean that Jesus is great. But I just want to make this super clear this morning. That right there is a tactical lie of the enemy that he tells to people, even Christians who still are in love with this world so much that they want the things of this world and are still in love with those things so that they'll feel better about uh, using the name of Jesus to get what they want. That's what that lie is for. That if I could just gain, if I could just get, if I could just achieve, if I could just succeed, then God would get more glory. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. It's exactly the opposite. Jesus himself, all the apostles, they teach in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, the exact opposite of that truth. Here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 3, 14. You are blessed if you suffer for righteousness. James 1, 2, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. 1 John 2, 15 and 3, 13, John says, don't love the things of this world. Don't be shocked if people hate you. Paul said, I believe that whether by life or by death, Christ will be honored in my body. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is how the New Testament speaks. They know nothing of a Christianity that is about comfort and pleasure and wealth and success. They know everything about take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what the New Testament teaches us. That's how we bring glory to him. Listen, if you want your faith in your relationship with God to grow, to go to a, like a new level of maturity, then get this into your heart and soul. That the best opportunity, the best opportunity that you will have to glorify God in this world will come not in your comforts, but in your sufferings. I'm not saying God won't glorify himself in your comforts ever. I'm not saying he's not going to glorify yourself when things are going great in life. He will. He absolutely will. And we should praise God for those moments. But we all know that praising God hits different when it comes out of the mouth of someone who's going through hell, who's going through the valley, who's going through the darkness and still says, blessed be the name of the Lord. That brings glory to God. That hits differently in our hearts and in our community. And as people see our lives and they see us struggling and striving and, and suffering and even dying for the things that we believe, that lifts up the name of Jesus because it lets them know, I'm not in this game for what it gets me right now. I'm in this game to bring glory to him. And that brings glory to his name. 
so much more than me. Everybody can praise God when our pockets are full. Can you praise him when they're empty? Can you praise him when your bottom line is struggling? Can you praise him then? Can you sing his praises on the mountaintop and in the valley, and especially in the valley? Everybody wants to go to heaven, and nobody wants to die. I told y'all uh, last week, I kind of made this offhand statement that uh, Christians are gangsters. This is, uh, this is proof of it. This is proof of it. Revelation 12, verse 11. I just want to read you this. This is how the Christians beat Satan. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him, that's Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's how we Christians defeat the work of the enemy in this world. By not loving our lives so much that we would shrink even from death for the glory of Jesus. That's a hard thing to say in 2023. Because we live in a world that just so pumps comfort into your veins every day. That's what life's about. And anything that comes against your comfort, anything that comes against your pleasure, anything that comes against your bank account, anything that comes against you getting what you want and you doing you in this world is evil. That's what our world says. And Jesus says, no, it's evil to cling to the things of this world in denial and ashamed of Jesus. You want to be my disciple, you, you deny yourself and you pick up your cross and you come after me. So again, let's look at the questions that Jesus asked in Matthew 16, 26. He says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul. It's two questions that really have the same answer and make one point, right? What, what will it gain a man? What will it profit a man? What will be the, the end result if you gain the entire world and yet you forfeit your soul? Or what can a man give, he asks, in exchange for his soul? Jesus is implying that at least in some regard, listen, you can gain the things of this world, you can gain the whole world in the sense that kind of as, as, new as both the New and the Old Testament speak, uh, kind of give us three main categories of that sinful craving for the things of this world. Really, it's, it's pride, it's greed, and it's lust, right? It's the praise of men. It's, it's full pockets where we have our treasure and we get the things that we want. And it's our cravings, our desires, our lusts that we go after, sort of the, the physical things that satisfy us and make us pleased in this world. Those three things, you want those things, you can have those things in this world. You can get them. If you run after them, if you try hard enough, if you give up whatever else you need to get up, you can gain these things and you can gain them in abundance. You want praise from men, you can have it. You want money, work hard enough, you can get it. You want the pleasures that this life can give to you, I promise you, you can find those things. Even without money, you can have those things. You can satisfy yourself, you can please yourself. But then what? What profit? That's what Jesus said. What profit will you have in the end? 
when you gain all that the world can give to you, you've amassed everything that the world can offer and your soul is bankrupt. What good is that? Because to love the world is to be ashamed of Christ, is to deny Christ. That's the thing that Jesus is talking about. You deny self because if you don't, if you accept those things and you love those things and you live for those things, you're denying Jesus. That's what you're doing. You're ashamed of him if those things in this world are the things that you run after. Because when it comes down to it, the world can promise you that when, when you achieve and when you get all of those things, the world can make all sorts of promises that you'll have everything that you need and you'll finally, ultimately be satisfied. But the truth is that all the money in the world will not buy you one ounce of righteousness before God. Elon Musk, $240 billion, richest man in the world. Not a cent of that will go into God's hand at the end and into Elon Musk's credit for righteousness. Not one penny. All the praise of men will never move the heart of God to forgive your sins. And all the pleasures you can enjoy will not make God pleased with you. Sometimes I wonder how, how much of our anxiety as a culture is due to the fact that we spend so much time, so much thought, so much energy trying to hold on to things in this world that can so easily be taken away from us. The Bible calls these things sinking sand. Ecclesiastes talks about chasing after the wind. Even if you get it, get a little bit of praise, get a little bit of money, get a little bit of pleasure, guess what? It's gone. It will go away and you will have nothing in the end. And so the answer to both of Jesus' questions there, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer to both questions is the same, nothing. That's the answer, nothing. You have no profit from gaining the world and forfeiting your soul. And then the second question is kind of like he's saying, man, what can you give in exchange for your soul? It's like, man, if I were to go to heaven, having gained the world and I stand before my maker, I stand before my judge, what will I then be able to give him in exchange for my soul back? I gave it away in the world. Now I want to buy it back. And the answer is still the same. Nothing. It's nothing you're going to bargain him with. Nothing that's going to move his hand. The only thing, the only thing when we stand before our maker and judge, the only thing that will cover us, the only thing that will save us, the only thing that forgives us is the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. The one who just said, I'm going to the cross and this is why. Because you can gain everything you want in the world. It won't buy you forgiveness. It won't buy you righteousness, but my blood shed on the cross, it will. And you trust in this. And then you follow in the way of that cross. You follow me. So what is your soul worth to you? And Jesus is also implying that our soul should be worth something to us. You know why? Because it's worth something to God. Your soul is worth something to him. You know how I know? He thought it up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right, And you read through that whole chapter and you're going to find he made man and woman in his own image. God thought of you. 
He dreamed you up. And not only did he think of you, he sent his son to purchase you back from sin and death with his own blood shed on the cross. And he rose again on the third day to redeem and to justify all who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. God values your soul. And he's hoping this morning that you would value your own soul enough to do this, to give it away to him. Not to try to hold on to it, not to try to keep it for yourself because the safest place your soul will ever be is in the hands of God. It's in the hands of Jesus. It's laid down at the cross. And that will give you the courage and that will give you the faith and that will give you the boldness when he has your soul in his hands to spend the rest of your life just going, you know what? Whatever I need to do, whatever you ask me to do, however I can follow you, I'm going the way of the cross. Like Paul said, I consider everything else rubbish for the sake of knowing Jesus, my Lord. Man, I want to know his resurrection and I will die to attain to that. That's the call of Jesus. That's the way of the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, this means you must count the cost. Look, look right here. Count the cost. The way of Jesus is not a it's not a cushy, safe, comfortable way all the time. Most of the time, it's just not. It is the way of the cross. Everybody wants a savior. Not a lot of people want a Lord. And Jesus is saying right here, Matthew 16, yeah, I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm your savior. I'm also your Lord. You want Jesus to be your savior, but not your Lord? Guess what? He'll be neither to you. He's either both or he's nothing because that's who he is. I am the Christ, the son of the living God, and I am going to Jerusalem to die. Follow me. And so for us, I just think if we kind of put ourselves in Peter's place right there, where we're, we, we do think like that, we do have that mindset sometimes of just the things of this world and our safety and our comfort and the things that kind of make sense to me in my, in my nature, but things that we set our minds on. And what does Jesus tell Peter to do? He says, get behind me. He says, get behind me, Satan, right? You're thinking like Satan get behind me, right? How much of our struggles in faith, y'all, how much of our struggles in our Christian walk are just simply because we try to get ahead of him. We try to step up forward. We try to play the leader. We try to tell Jesus what our plans are. We try to tell Jesus where we want to go. Even, listen, sometimes with good intentions, I'm going to do this for you, Jesus, I'm going to follow you here, Jesus. I'm going to make this happen, Jesus. I'm going to use my gifts and my talents and my skills like this, Jesus. And sometimes we just need to stop and let Jesus go, you know what? I'm the leader. You stand here. Let me lead. And you just follow after me. Listen to me. Trust in me. Walk with me. We do not lead Jesus where we want to go. He leads us. That mindset had to change for Peter. And listen, it did change for Peter. It did. It took him a while, but it changed. And it's Peter that we get to see in the book of Acts become one of the most outspoken and powerful men of God who preaches the first Christian sermon and thousands come to know Jesus. And then he takes the gospel to the Samaritans and he, and he, the Samaritans and he takes the gospel to the Gentiles. 
and he opens up the kingdom to the entire world through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of himself. It was that same Peter who wrote letters to the churches in Asia many years later, encouraging them in their sufferings and continuing to go on, move forward in their sufferings because he knew that that was the way of the cross because Jesus had taught him that it was that same Peter who on the day that he died by crucifixion chose because he wasn't worthy to die like Jesus to be crucified upside down. He said, I, I, I'm carrying my cross, but I'm not worthy to die like Jesus died on the cross. You put me upside down and he died that way. That's the Peter that Jesus is talking to and his mind changed. So here's the question for us this morning. What is our mind set on? What is your mind set on? The things of God or the things of man? The way of the cross or the way of comfort? Because the way of the cross is the way of life. The way of comfort and ease and self-sustaining work and ability and self-righteousness and all those things that we can kind of fill our pockets and our heads and our hearts with over here. That is the way. It's the way of the world, and it's the way of death. Jesus said, man, if you would give your soul to me, that's the only way to save it. And then you follow me. Follow me. That is what it means to deny yourself, to bear your cross, and to follow Jesus in this world. And listen, into eternity, soul intact. It's by handing it over to him willingly. So listen, as we sing this morning, as always, I just want to offer you the opportunity just to worship Jesus. And maybe you just need to sit right where you're at for a second and just think about those things that your mind is set on and open your hands and lay them down to Christ. If you feel led to come up front and pray, you are welcome to do that. If you're on the prayer team and you want to be down here, we'd love to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with you, come down and let's, let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. But as we go into worship, here's what I want to ask us to do. Let's just close our eyes. Let's close our eyes together. And let's do this, that. Let's just open our hands to the Lord. Just open your hands, just palms up, just open your hands, just as a gesture of saying, God, I'm here. God, here's what I have. And maybe just think about in your hands right now the things of this world that you have your mind set on things that you want to hold on to, the things that you want to cling to and not surrender to him. Just keep your hands open and maybe just take this time to pray. So God, lead us to lay down our lives, to not consider our lives so much value to us in this world that we would shrink back from the way of the cross but instead that we would follow you, come what may, life and death. And maybe it would be our sufferings. Maybe it would be our losses. Maybe it would be our failures. Maybe it would be even our deaths that would bring the most glory to you. And we would gladly accept that because we love you. And we're not living for these stupid 80 years in this world. We're living for eternity. Lead us, Lord, in the way of the cross. Yes, we want to go to heaven. And if that means we must die, let us die.
for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.